0: groundbreaking the great liberators are coming hosts amiri
2: brown and kenya white take on all topics intrinsic to the black experience no topic is too cold or too hot
0: now here are the great liberators amiri brown and kenya white
1: Okay, how's everyone doing out there? This is your host, Mary Brown, host of the Great Liberators Radio Show. Um, It's Monday afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock Eastern, 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, We have a special treat for for the listeners today. Um, We're actually going to be interviewing Dr. Tommy Curry. Um, He's author of uh, the critically acclaimed The Man Not. It's a groundbreaking book. Um, It has a, a wealth of information in it. Um, and he really does a good job with compiling um, information and data that really contextualizes the black male experience. And this is something that that has not been done within the realm of academia uh, before. Matter of fact, I, I believe we have the guest on on the um, switchboard right now. So I'm going to bring him in. Yeah, Dr. Curry.
0: Yes, sir. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you doing today, brother?
0: I'll do it well. I'll do it well. Am I sounding
1: okay? Yeah, yeah, you sound you you sound perfect. You sound perfect. I actually was waiting, um supposed to have uh my two other co hosts joining me, but they haven't came in yet. But um but that's fine. We can go ahead and go ahead and get started. Um, just real briefly for the listeners, could you could you just give us um your, your backstory and your biography and could you tell us how it is you came to to write the book, The Man Not
0: no, absolutely. So um, I'm a first-generation uh, academic uh, from Lake Charles, mm-hmm. Louisiana. I was born and reared in the South my whole life. Um, okay. You know, and, and growing up there, I grew up at the tail end of segregation. Uh, so I actually witnessed a lot of the uh, the brute violence and the difference in, in spatial arrangement and organization uh, in my city. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. unknown for Klan rallies, are for white supremacists to be around. Uh, I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, David Duke was actually running for governor. Uh, one of my teachers was a, was a classmate and friend of his. Uh, so, you know, I saw a lot of kind of the brute racism that we see playing itself out again in American society <clears throat> right before me as a kid. So, um, you know, now I work as a full professor of philosophy at Texas A&M. Uh, I have, I started the first book series on black male studies on the university press, uh, fortunately, and I'm incredibly humbled by this the man not, uh, just won an American book awards, uh, by the before before Columbus foundation. Uh, so a lot of my work deals with, uh, critical race theory, looking at the institutional and reproductive logics of, of death and dying, uh, and segregation, uh, in the United States. And of course, black male studies. Uh, which is a field that I created to really try to humanize uh, black men and boys. I think far too often many of our theories regarding gender uh, condemn black men and boys as beasts, as pathological, um, as having no impulse control, or being mimetic, um, meaning that they have no fully developed notion of the self and simply seek to imitate uh, their oppressor. So what I try to do with the man not is create a theoretical lens that allows us to actually see how black men are living and challenging and engaging uh, the world beyond violence. And I don't think that that's something that gender theory really has an account for right now. Uh, Many of our theories Mm -hmm. rely on gross generalizations of black men and violence. And I think that a lot of the talking points that comes out of the Academy and even on, you know, these blogs that we constantly see, uh, you know, making it into the mainstream, you know, the posts on the root, uh, things of that sort, uh, are just woefully uh, inac- inaccurate and mischaracterizations of research uh, in the academy about black men and about their actual domestic condition. Uh, yeah, so my a- wife and I recently uh, published a piece called uh, Taking It to the People uh, that was engaging how, you know, black philosophers and black scholars needed to be public intellectuals that actually utilize research and data to educate the black public rather than trying to socialize them mm-hmm. into a political ideology. So we, we take our, our role um, in discussing and trying to heal the black family very seriously. Uh, and while my wife focuses on black women and girls, I tend to focus on black men and boys.
1: I, um Excellent. And I just wanna say kudos to, to your work and everything that you're doing. Um, because Thank it is you. something that um that is very important and pertinent because something that I've picked up on, um, Dr. Kerr, just on my brief time of, you know, doing um podcasting and being active on social media is that there is this uh profound misandry directed towards black men. Um and to what extent it, it, it permeates Within the larger society is, is something I can't really put my finger on, but it appears to be uh, pervasive and in fact growing. You you mentioned um, you know humanizing black men and black boys. Can you speak to uh, the role that that media has played when it comes to dehumanizing black men, black boys? Um, uh, you know, can, can, is that something you can you can speak to real br- briefly? Oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, it's important to understand that black men, uh, even during the times of slavery, uh, were always depicted as monsters. So when black men uh, had slave revolts, when black men were depicted, uh, even in newspapers and pamphlets, uh, they were depicted as monstrosities uh, with sharp-raised teeth Mm -hmm. and cannibals. Uh, So the idea was that black men who actually were free would destroy the society, would eat white people, would rape people. Mm -hmm. And this is where you get the development of the idea of the rapist after the the abolition of slavery. So the the part of the propaganda with the media has always been to generate a specific fear about the black male. So when black men were thinking, were, were attempting to get the right to vote, there was a pushback by white suffragists that articulated a view of black men as abusers, as rapists, as as lazy and idle, uh, people who would be violent Mm -hmm. in their families and households to their wives and to their children. Uh, This was widely circulated uh, in the media. It was widely circulated in the revolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the 20th century, you see something familiar um, or something very similar to this. Uh, It's the familiar trope that black men are deviants, that black men are criminals, that black men are rapists. So what we've been dealing with for about 200 years in this country has been the use of media. And of course, with the advent of technology and social media and Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, uh, we see the same kind of proliferation of ideas that we saw in the mid 19th century. The ideas that black men are violent, um, that they're sexually predatory, and that without the sanction of their lives, without them being killed or incarcerated, they would overrun and destroy society. So what the media gives us are very specific images and stories and narratives and and explanations uh, that interpret black male deviance as a prevalent social problem. So when we see black men, the idea is that, well, that's the criminal, that's the rapist. And I think what Mm -hmm. we see on social media, especially with Twitter and Facebook is the internalization of these stereotypes amongst woke individuals and activists uh, as a way to talk about the threat that black men pose to the black community. So while we can criticize the media and journalism for depicting black men as rapists and killers, we have not done a very good job at criticizing black journalism and black media productions like The Root, uh, et cetera, that also take on these very same images. Because what we do is we call that a progressive gender politic, wherein black men become privileged or toxic, but those things simply repeat or rearticulate the same images of black men as social problems that we're fighting against, get, you know, in the subculture violence theories that are coming out of the late 70s and throughout the 1980s. So I think that right. the media is not only an issue or is not only an apparatus that's socializing uh, people, black, white, brown, et cetera, to accept the demons and criminality of black males, but it's also an apparatus that rationalizes the fear that society has of this group, because it says that the fear of black men is rational, it's necessary, mm. and it's justified. So we can, we can analyze and describe the media, but until we start dealing with the internalization of these negative stereotypes, or as you know what black male studies scholars call anti-black misandry, uh, we're not going to mm. do a very good job identifying or deprogramming many of these kinds of mythologies uh, against black men and boys. Right. Um
1: absolutely. Um now let me just mention um I actually have my, my one of my co-hosts on um brother Chaos Rain. Chaos, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Chaos, I'm here. Okay. I'm okay, here. yeah. We're we're on with the with, with the good Dr. Tommy Curry. Um do you do you have a question for the for the guests right now?
2: Um you mentioned the root.com are you aware, yes, um, Dr. Curry, that The Root is run and controlled by what they call white Latinos, a.k.a. Um, from Univision? I've heard about that. I know
0: it was brought out by Univision as part of some kind of media package deal. Uh, I'm not yeah. I'm not sure about the specifics of who actually owns it, uh, but I do think that many of the writers for The Root, um, specifically uh, people like Damian Young, um, continue to make or advance their careers on accounts of black men and boys um, that are resonant of not only deficit model thinking, but a subculture of violence thesis. Uh, and I think that's very dangerous. I think the idea that we can make analogies between Black men who have been some of the some of the greatest victims of patriarchy and sexual violence and abuse at the hands of the state and even within their own communities, to simply say that they're white men, which is mo- nothing more than a, a analogous trope for how violent Black men seem to be to Mr. Young, uh, is is in fact um, derelict it's it's not responsible journalism and in fact it's it's many it's us being accepting racist tropes because the author is black and then and calling the racism that he's promulgating uh gender theory our analysis of masculinity so i'm not surprised that you would have uh, different forms of liberals or different races of people in elite uh, behind the production of those kinds of images
2: yeah, and you mentioned Mr. Young. Yeah, and I remember that same thing with Mr. Young and probably other so-called black offer that right for the root, and some of them are probably major all of them. And this is my thing: if usually these men are what they consider heterosexual, and they work for any company, like say the root or mm-hmm. anything, like, I've concluded that anybody that's not you know either bisexual or LGBT or that stuff. That they will not come up with such nonsense of articles, regards to advance their career. Now, I say, say some, not all. But I find the well, ones they write, and they, they, I mean, I'm, I'm, hold on a minute. To find when they, when people come up with these, you know, articles, you know, and mind you, mm-hmm. I didn't know much about. It. I heard about it on social media, and I could a glance and scan it. They didn't give them much mind because I think, say, mm, it must be somebody that's writing it off there, you know, but just to get attention. But when somebody did a little digging more, I say, hmm, this kind of makes sense because if you were an actual male, you would, in your best interest, it would be insane to write about yourself for the whole world to look and say, well, when you talk about black people, that means I have to look at you as that person that I should stay away from because they already mm-hmm. paint the picture that you are a monster. You are a rapist. You know, so it's not because you might have a degree, but because you're black and you know, said these stereotypes that I gotta look at every black. Come here, they they box everybody in, Mr. Dr. Curry. And now they say mm-hmm. they separate the ones that are squares or the you know the pookies, right? Really, that stupidness, but they put everybody in the same boat. You know what I'm saying? Right. And our people right. don't understand that, that we don't put everybody else in the same boat. We should because it, it would go further. But other race people when they look at us, they put all of us in that same category. That's what I want to say.
0: Well, I think, but I think that you know something that Mister Young is doing, which is more insidious than that, is he's been dishonest about the relationship and currents of violence as they happen in our community. Um, rates of domestic violence, which is an example that he pointed out in his in his writing, um, are highest among homosexual couples, same sex couples. Um, you know, epidemiologists mm-hmm. theorize that this is because of the the um, the impact or the imposition of stigma that because these groups of individuals have to deal with social stigma, uh, that same-sex couplings uh, become more violent because there's this added level of discrimination and social marginalization. So Mr. Young tends to uh, disregard uh, this phenomenon that's been well documented for at least the last two decades uh, in summer reports and in various uh, accounts of intimate partner violence. So if you accept that as being possibly true or at least you know, representative in the in existing literature. And what Mr. Young is suggesting is that black men are like white men because they abuse women. But the other groups of people, be they black women or black men who abuse same-sex, other women or men in the same-sex partners, where well, they're not really violent at all, despite the fact that they have greater racial violence. So this is what I mean exactly. when I say that Mr. Young is, in fact, scapegoating um, heterosexual dyadic relationships uh, as the basis of his social program or as the basis of his uh, gender progressivism Uh, because there's certainly more than enough violence in the relationships we have in the black community uh, to go around. Uh, In fact, every relationship uh, be it between husband and wife, wife and husband, mother and child, father and child, same sex pairings, neighborhood violence and segregation. uh, These things are all generally higher uh, than the white community. Again, once you control for class and neighborhood Uh, Many of these discrepancies in violence disappear, but what I find coming Mm -hmm. from, you know, outlets like The Root or other social media outlets is the idea that we can reduce all deviance in the black community to black masculinity when there are much greater Mm -hmm. causes, especially revolving around poverty, uh, previous trauma like child physical or child sexual abuse that are related to the perpetration of violence against one's intimates into
2: adulthood. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Very Let um, Very, what... very good. Oh, well, let me more... I'm Mary right before you go on. Very okay. good, Dr. Curry. And and it's good thing you mentioned that about the violence from, you know, the opposite, like you know, the LGBT. And I know what society has done is they paint and control the narrative because there's always agendas when you have literatures out here circling. You know, and a lot of people understand they gotta think of the agenda. Don't think about just why, you got to think, what is the end game? Why they, something like that be circular and go viral? And not only this literature, but there's many other literatures on the route. One from like you're talking about the um, straight. Even when, when they say straight, when I find that, I say, hold on, that's a target. Because you're not just talking about this regular man. You're talking about the ones that don't engage, you know, like everybody, that, that, that disorder. And to find that when... Like you said, it, it's known from other couples that lived that bisexual, homosexual, LGBT life that they're more violent and it's more prevalent for the last 20 years. It will never be broadcast and notified because there's an agenda. You know what I'm saying? Because no, I, I, say, I
0: completely agree.
2: There's an agenda. Mm-hmm. So people have to be very careful with anything that's circling out here. You always got, especially with the titles, to catchy paraphrase, to always know, say, okay, what is the real purpose? Before I go in this article, why would somebody leak this? you know, and what are they what yeah, reactions sure. are they gonna get because they're gonna get a reaction nonetheless, you know either a mm-hmm. good or negative they do it just not only to get the views of circling but they try and get a certain energy from our people when literature has come out, especially from black men because black men that see the emphasis that you know this is actually a direct attack, you know because no, RNKs, they 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 control all forms of media. And people know that media is the best propagate uh, propaganda tool. So if you want to do something to people, you have to hate them as a demon. And justify mm-hmm. why you do what you do. Which I find very dangerous. And I especially men have to really counteract with these type of uh, propaganda out here because all it's gonna do is gonna solidify, you know, more of what's going on, particularly in America or globally, when it comes to us as race people.
3: You
1: know, no, I, I think, uh, I think you're
0: correct. I think you're correct. Um, I, I would just add, though, but this is the job of scholars, right? Like, the, the job of scholars is to be able to dissect and give different accounts of what's popularly believed amongst the masses. So we need to mm-hmm. ask the question. I mean, the, 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 the most important question, given what we know about violence in the black community, are what are the conditions that breed interpersonal violence or violence against intimates? Why do we harm each other? Uh, you know, Dr. Carl Bell uh recently published a book where he's talking about uh fetal alcohol syndrome and how because of the lack of access that black mothers have uh, to health care and to early detection of pregnancy, that there's a disproportionate amount of black babies that are affected by alcohol and other, you know, uh drugs, narcotics, things of that sort, you know, re- even recreational things, you know. Um because they're in environments that are poor, they're in environments uh, that breed addiction, they're in environments with recreational mm. alcohol use because they didn't know they were pregnant. Now, does that right. an end-all be-all? Is that, a, is that blaming Black women for violence? Absolutely not. But it's saying that when you look at the overall conditions of Black communities and the, and the, and the disproportionate neglect that they suffer because they don't have access to health care or prenatal care or they live in dangerous areas, then you see a cumulative effect of these factors that Mm -hmm. affect the kinds of people and the kinds of behaviors that are going to be in those areas. And what I think that people that social media does and bloggers try to do is they want to scapegoat straight black men because that's become not only become fashionable within the academy, but it continues the long held tradition of suggesting that straight black men are are in fact rapists and will condemn and demolish society, that they're that they're the subjects that are going to end civilization. And I find I mm-hmm. guess I find that position curious because again, you know, is you know, this is part of the criticism I have about some of the ways that intersectionality and black feminist theory evolve. Is that when you look at any of the things that are produced in the nineteen eighties, you see similar levels of violence. Uh, especially amongst intimates, not so much in terms of homicide against strangers. Men overwhelmingly commit homicide against other groups of men who are strangers. But when you talk about violence within households or violence within in, uh, against intimates, uh, black men and black women are, are very similar. And in many cases, especially when you're dealing with neglected children, black women commit more kinds of violence because they interact and engage with children more. So we're not right. talking about that. You see what I'm saying? Like we, yeah. We're not having a conversation about what's the effect of child physical abuse, what's the effect of child neglect, what's the effect of child sexual abuse on adults, because we don't have a trauma or a victim-centered analysis of what we blame black people for. The first thing we do is say, oh, they're black, oh, they're a straight black man, pathological, when in reality... Right. We can trace many of the behaviors that we see in adulthood as deviance or sexual predation, et cetera, to early trauma in childhood, especially amongst young black boys, given their early ages of sexual debut and their higher rates of child physical abuse and severity. So there needs to be a rethinking, and this is what the man not tries to do. There has to be a rethinking about how we theorize the kinds of behaviors we don't like. And how we relate Mm -hmm. what we're theorizing to the actual evidence and the epidemiology that is trying to figure out why these behaviors seem to track, um, you know, in the same kind of community. Because it's not like poor black women are magically uh, less violent. It's not like poor gay peoples are less violent. You know, the issue is, Mm -hmm. why is it that these communities and the people in these communities all participate or are burdened by different forms of violence against each other? And that's not a question we do a very good job of because we just blame everything on black men.
1: Um, and 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 you just brought up a a, a very important point that I wanted to t- actually touch on, Doctor Curry. Um, and you talked about um a lot of the tropes that's pushed about about black men and about how uh, these harmful behaviors are are pathological to to black men, black masculinity, black manhood. Um. Can you you speak to the the way black boys are traumatized predominantly at the hands of their mothers and how that goes, how that plays a part into the behaviors they engage in as as an adult? Because it's like we we, we want to dismiss that. Like we we don't give any credence to that whatsoever. We don't talk about the fact that that many black boys are, are verbally abused. They are physically abused. They're sexually abused. When we talk about, um, you know, childhood abuse in the black community, oftentimes it's focused on, on, on black women and black girls, and it's talked about as if black men are are the perpetrators of that, um, of that alone. So that's something that you you can speak to, uh, just just how um, some mothers—not not, not not all, of course—but some mothers have a tendency to be abusive to their sons and this goes a long way into patterning that behavior in in black men as adults.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh you know, my colleague uh, Stacey Stacy Patton does tremendous work on this issue. Um mm. you know abuse of black mothers. Uh I do a lot of work mm. on black female sexual offenders and you know and black female sexual uh or physical abuse offenders, right? Um mm. and, and we do that work You know, and and we've both been attacked and criticized for doing this kind of research. But, you know, we're doing this work because we're trying to create a a better ecological model and pattern of how we should think about um, the products, right, of of adult behavior. And what I I find Mm. disconcerting is that when you're talking about black boys, as you just mentioned, there's no moment, there's no pause. There's not a moment of reflection to think, why is this behavior coming about? You know, and this is, this is what I mean when I say that a lot of these, you know, social media fronts, uh, be it Facebook, Twitter, uh, The Root, et cetera, uh, don't really have social workers, epidemiologists, psychologists writing for them or even being interviewed for these pieces. So the, the go-to mm-hmm. explanation is patriarchy and toxic masculinity, but that's not what we find. And I'll give you a very good example of this. When you look at the studies that we uh, have on, on white men. Um, There's this view, there's a view that suggests that white boys who are physically assaulted, neglected by their mothers, that that's the first instance of an actual unidirectional kind of, uh, it's been violence, partner violence, right? That that's the origin of it. Because what what the young boy is understanding is that violence is a way to communicate dissatisfaction, disappointment, and authority. So in this kind of literature, you know, written by white epidemiologists and social workers, it's not uncommon for them to consider how child physical abuse and spankings and verbal psychological abuse cultivate a male personality that's not only more likely to perpetrate domestic violence or intimate partner violence against a woman in the future, but also how that relationship could create a dependency complex where they'll be more accepting to stay in relationships with female abusers uh, against them as well. But there's no literature that has any sort of uh, nuance in how we talk about black men. Uh in fact, the the stereotype of black men being abusers of women uh is so strongly held amongst black academics that even asking the question about black male victims of domestic abuse uh draws harsh criticism and almost a blackballing and censorship effect to the scholars that want to study this question. So what that does is it means that while white scholars and white clinicians have access to studies and theories that are trying to account for the relationship that young men and women suffer under the household where it and, and is largely based on their relationship with their mothers. But of course, there's also, you know, fathers perpetrating abuse and sexual violence. I'm not trying to exclude that, but in those kinds of relationships where, you know, mothers are abusing children, uh, there's, a, there's a rich literature that's talking about how it should be treated, how it should be theorized, um, and what it leads to mm-hmm. for black people we deny that that possibility even exists so because we're not yeah. interested in looking at how violence is developing in our communities there's this idea that there is no such thing as a black female perpetrator of violence in the household mm-hmm. so despite black boys reporting uh, being made to penetrate uh, over a 12-month period uh, even more than, than black women reporting rape in some cases and us knowing that over 70% of the perpetrators of Mace penetrate cases are women, we don't dare ask the question of how black men and boys see themselves in relationship to the women in their communities, especially their caretakers like their mothers or aunts. So it creates, it creates a gap in not only the scholarship that's discussing this, um, but also the kinds of sensibilities and compassion that scholars have to even theorize the black male perpetrator of violence as a childhood victim.
1: Mm, right. Um, very good. Let me, now let me ask you this, um, and this is something that you know that that I've seen from time to time um, on social media. Can you speak to this idea of of black male privilege and whether this is is just another um, trope and myth that's perpetuated by um, by certain individuals, or or is there any teeth to that to that idea? Because if there is any any functioning form of of black male privilege, I I need to get in on that because I I haven't seen it in my life.
0: Well, well, look, I you know this again. This is what I think is the difference between theory and and empiricism, right? Um, the idea right. of black male privilege comes about in the early two thousands, um, maybe in the late nineties, uh, as an outgrowth of intersectionality. The idea is that the maleness of a particular subject so if you're black and male, maleness is a privileged category. The problem with that, mm-hmm. however <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the problem with that, however, is that um, men, black men, especially, uh, don't seem to be able to exhibit many, if any, of the characteristics that we traditionally associate with white male power. For example, mm-hmm. when we think about white men historically, uh, we think about an accumulation of wealth. We think about um, certain patterns of of economic uh, freedom and mobility because they're not trapped in the home. Uh, these are not advantages mm-hmm. that black men have, especially uh, over black women. Uh, black men are more unemployed than black women. Uh, black men actually less, make less than black women, uh, especially when you take into consideration the number of black men incarcerated. And say you want to participate in that selection bias and only look at what the Bureau of Labor Statistics offers, you black men have the smallest uh, income gap of any of the races. It's only three or four you know, cents, uh, which ends up to something less than $3,000 a year. Um, so the idea that black men have some sort of material privilege uh, doesn't in fact exist. Now, what some theorists have done is they've tried to suggest that the recognition of black men's ills, the, the kind of violence that black men suffer, like you know, from incarceration or police brutality is a form of privilege. And in my book, I name this theory and talk about its origin. Uh, it's the, the name of the theory is called intersectional visibility. And what the theory says is that, look, while we know that black men are more materially oppressed than black women, uh, we want to read that disadvantage as a kind of male privilege. So the reason that black women are not killed Are the reason that white women are not killed as much as black men is because patriarchal societies value and fear other men more than they do women. So the authors of that study suggest that black men being killed and being oppressed more directly than women is a form of privilege because the patriarchy that we live in views them as more dangerous. I find that to be an offensive and ridiculous theory. Uh, Because what it suggests is that no matter what violence or disadvantage black men suffer, you get to read anything as privilege. So if black men Mm. live shorter lives than black women, if black men die more often than black women, if black men are more incarcerated than black women, the argument becomes, well, even though they have more empirical disadvantage, they have more empirical disadvantage because patriarchies want to oppress and focus on them more. And that focusing on them is evidence of their male privilege, because patriarchies don't value women, so they don't oppress them to, to the same degree. Um, and when you, I think once you get to that point of the conversation, then you really have mm-hmm. to assess what you mean by privilege and oppression. Because right. what, what you've done effectively is said, well, there's no litmus test for genocide. So if, I mean, just think about putting that argument in any other context. If you're talking about, uh, you know, Nazis versus Jews, would you say that Nazis aim to kill Jewish men first in the Holocaust because those Jewish men who were exterminated in mass have male privilege? No one would say mm. that because the, the, the offense, the, the offensiveness of that kind of tragedy, the lives lost uh, are, are of right. such a magnitude that it demands immediate attention and sorrow. But when it comes to black men, and we see the numbers of black men incarcerated, unemployed, suffering from homelessness, are, um, are uneducated, uh, we say, oh, well, it's still privileged. So there's a theoretical investment in casting black men as having some sort of position above women, while we know empirically, right? And, this is, and again, this is the contradiction, because those very same uh, social media sites, those very same blogs, there's always this concession that oh well black women are doing the most right black women are driving the right. democratic platform black men or black women are uh, the most educated group so on the one hand you say well black men are constantly above and have advantages over black women but then you say but black women are the ones that are pushing the world forward uh, this is the confusion this is the rhetorical trope of identity politics um, that exists mm. right now uh, you know in in our popular culture black male privilege does not exist now there may be situational advantages where black men may Mm -hmm. have an easier time doing some things than black women but that also exists for black women so if you if you're if you're both educated at the same status it's easier for black women to get a job more you know a job than black men black women have consistently gotten 60 to 70 percent of the degree and again that's not me saying that black women are the ones who are privileged that's me saying that in certain institutions like the education system or the job market, black women have distinct Mm -hmm. advantages over black men because black men are constructed as threats and people are fearful of it. Now, other people, you know, disagree, and that's fine, but there hasn't been one empirically substantiated article or research base from demographers or social scientists that have documented black male privilege. The only article you have on this topic um, begins with, well, they, black men don't have privilege in society, but they have privilege via V black women. And again, that article doesn't dig into any of the data about violence between groups. It insists that violence from black men to black women and children, or even to black uh, queer, queer groups, is unidirectional. And that is just not what mm-hmm. the literature or the, pre, the present research says. So I think black male privilege is a theoretical trope. I think it plays into certain uh, gender-based conversations. But uh, as of yet, it has not been empirically substantiated uh, in any rigorous way that's been comparable to how we think about white privilege and the structural and institutional advantages that white people have uh, based on race uh, or even gender that white men have over white women. Uh, there's not been anything produced like that amongst black people. Right. So, like a- um
3: They'll so, have my go.
1: Group? Go ahead. Hold chaos.
3: on a second.
1: Hold on one oh, second. What? What did
3: you say, Chaos? One second. Give me a second. One second. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, well, I, I, I wanted. To, okay. Go. Go ahead. Um. I will say this. Um. So in regards to the myth, it, it seems to me that when they come out, this male privilege, um not only is it an illusion, but it shows that, you know, when black men are trying to be, or they're trying to opposite black people, that it makes it, it, make it paint a picture to most of our society that, that the black male, it's like this. People don't understand that we don't have no power in the society. So how do most of our women, or men, or just women, particularly our women, feel that because you have a man or your appearance and balls, that you still have a space in the society? And uh, so you don't, you're very much in a very less powerful position, either by choice or whatever case you want, call it. The feels said, you know, even with, like what you said before, it definitely add up from this own little data that's being not. So right. it makes it me makes think that um. the most part of the say that, you know, they're doing something inside because they're able to work for another man, that they, they, that they look at their own man as something to beneath them. In other words, because they all, uh, maybe you should pick yourself on your bootstrap. Maybe do this, that. But no, obviously, men men actually kill other men. You know?
0: Yeah, by and, and large,
3: yes. Yeah, by large. So, really, and I want people to understand what I mean by men kill other men. And it's like in the jungle, they compete just to get that prize. And there's either territory or the woman. And people understand we still operate on that. Amorous nature type perspective So it makes all the sense But when a man is not competing When a man is, It seems you're doing your job You know what I'm saying To the point where I say You have to be in some competition Because competition can lead to bloodshed. You know what I'm saying and, and what I mean by this Throughout history When black men were getting Strong in hand during Jim Crow It was not the criminal ones That they are talking about. It's the ones that are doing What they are doing To compete in society and a black woman revealed that when she did her research. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that picture, so that way when it goes to, oh, no, this person raped, but when you look at this person, this person had nothing to do with raping those like women, but he was competing on a high level to push another man out of his, you know, something
0: or right. yeah. work. Yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, again, you know, social dominance makes a very similar argument. Um, there are other forms of literature uh, that talk about that exact thing, that uh, the difference in the species of violence between uh, men and women is that women suffer more from paternalism, which is coercion and dictates about their body and, and, and future, uh, their life course, uh, and men are dealt with with violence and incarceration. So there, there are theories that give extremely detailed accounts of that kind of dynamic. Um, but what I, what I find is that most people that study gender um, have very little interaction with theories outside of you know the mainstream liberal feminist historiography. So what ends up happening is that you get to equate the idea of woman or womanhood with a global phenomenon of patriarchal violence when the very claim of women being oppressed as a class didn't come about until the mid-20th century, roughly the the, 1960s and 70s. So Mm. we have to, again, ask ourselves, how is it that you have a system of racism, colonialism, and genocide um, that's been the dominant view of violence, especially group violence and minority group violence, uh, for over a century? And now an argument that was invented 50 or 60 years ago um, becomes equal and par with the oppression that racialized and ethnic groups have suffered for, for you know, for, for centuries on end. Uh, and again, you know, this is, you know, we talk about this in, in my class. when We're reading Mary Jackman's work on paternalism. I was, you know, I say, look, can anyone name a genocide that specifically affected women as a class that specifically targeted only women? And the answer of course is no. But then I was like, but when we look at 20th century genocides or even look, when we look at slavery and mass extermination rates, um, you know, by the mm-hmm. state, you know, men men overwhelmingly are the victims and casualties of these kinds of practices. So, again, yeah. my question is, is that if we know this, then why do we take such a one-dimensional view? Like nobody's – you see, nobody's arguing that women are not oppressed. What What the argument becomes is what's the relationship that patriarchy has to very specific male body? And if a racialized male body is – is fundamentally from a, a, a dominant group male body, be it white or Turkish or, or, or German, then why is it that the racialized male body seems to incur so much violence and, and sexual force? Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the mm-hmm. reasons this ends up happening is because people like binaries. They like to deposit certain kinds of violence on certain types of bodies. So whereas we'll say, oh, well, you know, black women were, Beaten and flogged and, and raped during slavery, you know, black men weren't raped during slavery. Well, that's not true. Black men were raped during slavery. Uh, mm-hmm. There were mass rapes of black men uh, throughout South America and the American South. Uh, you know, we see the mm-hmm. same thing in the Holocaust. We see the same thing in the Armenian Genocide. We see the same thing, you know, some, some accounts of this amongst uh, of war, you know, during war, low level conflict. Right. So there is a way in which racialized men are being sexually violated molested abused and assaulted that we want to turn a blind eye to and then we, we erase those accounts and say rape only happens to women and that's the trump card for how we understand gender instead of expanding mm-hmm. the concept of gender violence to be lynching and mutilation and castration and rape and sodomy etc right wow. uh, these are the types of things that that we really have to reconsider And and again, this is why I'm saying, that in order for us to truly get a handle on racial oppression, we have to fundamentally reconceptualize how we think of gender as that trump card um, that that gives uh, female bodies uh, access to unique privilege and suffering that male bodies somehow aren't vulnerable to. And this is why I think that the idea of a black male privilege or even the current accounts that we have under intersectionality uh, don't really do justice to the history that we know in the development of patriarchy, especially on uh, the relationship that uh racialized men have to patriarchal systems um of oppression throughout the world. Well, uh,
1: um let me ask let me ask you this, uh Dr. Curry. Yes sir. What 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 are your thoughts on um on the on the Cosby case and this oh, whole meet Me Too movement. Like what 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 do you think about this entire thing?
0: Well I think they're separate. Um I'm mm. you know Cosby, you know it, it, it's tough. with Cosby I think as a black man that it was an extremely low bar of evidence, right? Right. Um he was convicted only on you know first person testimony and account. Um but at the same time I'm not sure that Cosby was completely innocent, right? Um, right. So I, you know, I my my issues with the process conviction, not a moral, not a moral case or defense of his person. If that makes sense. Um right. With Me Too, I think that Me Too was kind of the cultural moment that allowed Cosby um, to be, you know, prosecuted uh, on 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 just victim testimony. Uh, the problem I have right. with Me Too isn't that women are coming out as victims, or that they're telling their stories of sexual harassment. Uh, my view, my, my problem with the movement is its historical account of sexual violence. Uh, in fact, I recently mm-hmm. submitted an article for review, um, you know, based on this argument that, look, you know, Me Too wants to, wants to have create an ahistorical view of rape and sexual assault such that the perpetrators of every culture and in every country are males. And I'm, you know, my point is, while well, the data just does not support this thesis or theory, that the data shows, and even the historical record shows, that especially with black men in the United States, uh, homoeroticism and the rape of black men by white women uh, was common in slavery and Jim Crow. Uh, when you look at the cases of, of, of black men like Willie McGee, our young boy like Jeremiah Reeves, who uh, Rosa Parks writes about, uh, these black men were raped by white women during, during um, segregation. So, you know, when when you focus on Terry Crews as a symbol of inclusion, um, you miss this larger history of sexual violence um, that's plagued uh, racialized men and minority men, you know, for, for, for centuries. So I think that Me Too has to expand its notion of the victim, and it has to stop mm-hmm. uh, simply rearticulating all frames of gender violence within the narrative of patriarchy, uh, because, again, overwhelmingly, um, many of the many of the studies coming out after the UCR change, the definition of rape changed in 2013 um, from forcible knowledge of a woman to the penetration of any orifice or being made to penetrate any orifice with a finger, digit, or other part of your body. Um, that means that the idea of rape um, has to be different than just the female body and female victimization. So when you look mm-hmm. at women who are raping young boys or women who uh, may be sexually coercing young men, uh, you have to account for that, not as an afterthought, but as a way that you're trying to approach sexual violence in the society generally. And to ask the world to see men as perpetrators and women as only victims and and not accountable for their role or decisions in sexual coercion uh, isn't a movement for sexual liberation. It's a movement Um, to try to privilege one group as victim over another group who's not seen as victim. But that, that's my criticism of, of the paradigm. Um, But I'm all for uh, victims, be they men or women uh, coming forward with stories of survival and triumph over abuse because I study, you know, male victims of rape. So, um, you know, I'm very much victim centered in how I view these kinds of movements. I, I don't, I'm not offended by it at all, but I think that there needs to right. be um, some very real procedures and expectations that there needs to be an expansion of the victim category uh, because the data, even by the CDC reports, in terms of prevalence, as well as the secondary literature, um, simply does not support the idea that men are primarily or solely perpetrators of sexual violence and women are not.
1: Right. Um, let, me ask you, let me ask you this. Um on the cover of your book, there's um, a young man, um, George Stinney. Um, can you speak to, to to why you decided to put him on 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 the book, and what what message were you trying to to capture and convey um, by doing that? And, and if you could briefly, um, could you just give like the uh, the backstory about about the George Stinney case for the listeners who may not be familiar with it?
0: Absolutely. So. George Stinney was a was a young boy uh, who was accused of raping and kid of of the intent to rape and killing two young white girls, and mm. the the most recent findings that's coming out of South Carolina has been that the court knew that uh, the young Mister Stinney uh, was innocent, that someone else did it, and that he was uh, not capable of killing those two young girls. He weighed under a hundred pounds. Um, mm. They executed him anyway, and there's accounts that talk about, that describe his execution of him being too small to fit in the chair, him having to to be propped up on on books, uh, him crying uh, because you know the 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 shawl that covers his face during the execution wouldn't fit and came off uh, during the execution, and they could see him crying, and. I chose that picture because I think that Mr. Stinney represents the kind of pain and, and suffering, the kind of unimaginable condition and situation that black men find themselves in, to be known to be innocent and incapable of crimes and violence, still be executed and, and sacrificed uh, in American society despite that. So Mr. Stinney's is a humbling figure for me. Um, because he he lets me understand that no matter how much I write, that at the that in the background of all my words is is his is his story, is that my my research is trying to fend off death and to to redeem and let people reclaim the humanity of his life by being a young black boy and not a rapist and murderer. Uh, so Mr. Cine is immensely important uh, for me as an intellectual and and as a scholar uh, because it's it's he's, he's what I'm reaching towards, um, you know, trying to describe his pain to describe the conditions that led to his death and, and the horrible, um, misandry that allowed a young black boy to be thought of as a, as a murderous man. Uh, I think that these mm-hmm. are really the kinds of topics that, that define, um, the man not. And, and some of the, some of the themes that I'm trying to take on with black male study.
1: Right. Um, and uh we we've been on for, for, for roughly uh fifty minutes and we had a, a agreed prior that the interview would last anywhere anywhere from thirty to uh to forty-five minutes, I believe. So I, I'll make this the, the last question for you. I know you're a busy man What's and that? you have a lot of things uh going on. Um something that I that, that I that I often hear a lot um is this idea that black men don't know how to love. And I, I take particular exception with that because what 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 they're suggesting is okay. Love, love, and knowing how to love is something that is only uh, felt and perpetuated by black women, white men, and white women. Um, is that something? Is is that sentiment something that you've come across? And and if it is, how prevalent do you think that that sentiment is as as it pertains to black men?
0: Well, I think, I think that people make those kinds of claims. Um, I think that says more about the people that make those claims than anything about black men. Um, black mm-hmm. men are loving fathers. They're great husbands. And, you know, and I, you know, I don't, I'm one of those people that most of the things I say ha- actually has data. <laughs> so, you know, there's <laughs> lots of research that shows that black men, because, you know, everybody has an opinion. So I really, I really like yeah. research. So, you know, black men are the most involved with their children. They're the most involved with housework. They're the most involved with their wives. You know, even if you lock a black man up, he's one of the black men are the only group where incarceration does not decrease their investment in their children. Uh, the only thing that does have an effect is is, is employment. Uh, so you have black men who have tremendous amounts of love and caring uh, to give and to offer the world that's only negated because of the negative thoughts and stereotypes around black men and around black masculinity. Um, Black men are considered to be pathological. And as I said earlier, uh, a lot of these tropes come from white feminists in the 1860s um, that were Mm. trying to create black men as monsters, you know, as abusers of children and women and rapists to deny them the right to vote. And as much as we say that we've moved beyond those tropes of white feminism, I see them reinvented and rearticulated every day. So I don't think the issue is that black men are not loving or caring. I think the issue is that the way that people inhabit their decisions about black men is really based on white supremacist notions of black maleness that are designed to disempower and dehumanize black men before our very eyes. But there's not any account that I know of, That's been substantiated qualitatively, like through actually talking to black men, uh, that supports the idea that they're cold, heartless, and don't have any sort of inclination to love or care about others, uh, be it themselves, their wives, children, or people in their community. Right. Right.
1: Um, Well, well, go ahead, Everin. So you say
3: 1860, you mean like European women? When was that paint? black men of this, that's what you're
0: saying? Well, I'm saying that, so, I mean, when you look at Phoebe Cousins, you know, account of suffrage, because these white women were fighting with black men over the right to vote, uh, you see a deliberate effort by people like her, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, trying to frame black men as savages and abusers of women, as a right to deny them the right to vote, saying that they were too brutish and too mm-hmm. savage, and if you give them the right to vote, they're basically going to run, run the society into the ground. Um, and you see the reemergence of this, of this language in the 1920s and 30s, and even through the 1960s and 70s in subculture violence theory um, that's trying to depict black males as savages, lesser males, uh, effeminate and hyper-masculine and dangerous to women and children. So, you know, I think that the continuation, like how, how similar these ideas are really does point to a way in which um, some of the ideas in feminism and gender theory has not yet detoxified itself from the idea of the of the black male threat. Well so right.
3: in, in conclusion in conclusion to what is just said today, a lot of black males still cape and try to fight for the Europeans to get embarrassed or whatever. They gotta really do their little, their research. Because the same woman that they fight hard for instead of accepting their own woman is obviously in the the, the, the process of or doing the same for for their demise. Setting the
0: stage for their demise. Interesting. Very really interesting Well well I mean, you know, we're all affected by white supremacy, right? You know, I'm not one of those scholars that's like it's one group over the other. Um, but we have to understand black male vulnerability. So there are ways in which black women do participate in a sort of misandry that is very much in line with white supremacy. And there's a lot of ways that black men um, do so as well because we're all fighting for survival or we've assimilated certain tropes and ideologies of our society. Uh, what I dislike is when people try to say it's all black men and everybody else in our communities are fine. Or, you know, economics has nothing to do with violence, it's just all black men. Now, those things are manifestly false. But yes, that does mean that black men as a group need to educate themselves about the specific tropes in the literatures that have been utilized to frame them as super predators and toxic masculines, et cetera. Because what what black men actually end up doing is having to find a way to survive because the institutions of the society are so antagonistic to to their existence that there's no other choice. And I think by educating ourselves in how we've been constructed and the kinds of biases that actually exist against us in the world, Um, that's the best way to counteract um, this kind of narrative about ourselves. Uh,
3: Right. Well, thank you, Dr. Curry, for um, coming in and laying out the
1: information. I appreciate
3: it. I hope to
0: see you. No, thank you for the invitation, sir. Right.
1: Um, And, yeah, I just want to say uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to, to, uh, you know, have this, this interview and, you know, share your insight, your knowledge, and your wisdom on the topic, Dr. Curry.
0: Oh, thank you, sir. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, you have a good day, sir.
0: I will. You take care. Thank you again.
1: All right. Okay. Yeah, Cass, you still there? Yeah, that was a very good interview. Oh, I turn the background noise. You hear me good? No noise. Yeah, yeah. You have you have a. I'm hearing some I'm hearing some background noise now, but during the interview, it was it was pretty. Uh, I think the sound quality was pretty good. Good. That's you know, um, that was very good. I mean, um,
3: I wish we had um my sister honor to ask questions, question, but I guess they could make it tonight, um, Yeah, I guess. That's yeah, because
1: yeah, cause Rumi was supposed to um was supposed to was supposed to join us, but I think something came up at the last minute, so she wasn't able to um she wasn't able to make it in. But we actually have a couple of callers on the line. If 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 any caller wants to ha- have a question or a comment press one, and I'll bring you on I'll bring you on right quick before we get out of here. <clears throat> see nobody saying nothing so yeah i think I think overall uh okay, see it was a you know it was a um you know it was a good interview he 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 really spoke to a lot of the things that that I've really been noticing, you know just like even how he mentioned um a lot of the childhood trauma. That that black males and black boys tend to suffer, and how that has an effect on, you know, how that has an effect on on their behaviors as a, as adult men, and you know these these ideas, these ideologies that that say that that black men are inherently uh, deviant, violent, misogynistic. You know, like all these different different things that are, that's pushed and promoted about black men, and I I like the fact how he's um, he's well studied up on his history, and I think he even mentioned um, a colleague that he works with, Stacy Patton. I'm gonna I'm gonna email him about about maybe having her on the show to come and talk about uh, you know how mothers tend to play a tend to play a role in in a lot of these um, antisocial behavior patterns that that um some black men um tend to engage in and perpetrate. What what was your thought what was your overall thoughts just on the on the interview, bro? Um,
3: overall is I'm um, learning experience, um, with data and I'm not too fond of data but for tonight's I mean for today's conversation it really holds us to the point that has emphasized this thing about black males and the demonization of the black race, particularly us this men. And I think it, mm-hmm. he did bring enough clarity to this ongoing um, discussion that a lot of uh, people, men and women, that either are conscious or unconsciously know that there is a, a real propaganda uh, agenda to raid, really disable us and destroy black men before anything else. Yeah. And I think most of you that are more aware, they know this, they see us. Now, either they want to continue the demonization or they're going to find ways to, you know, dispel that myth. At end, we play our role in either accepting what is in the narrative that's been presented us by you know other race people, or we you know we gonna take what they say about us. Yeah, we got stop fifth person. So I think today that's one thing I got out of this whole discussion. So I I appreciate Dr. Curry um and what what he has brought forth. I would like everybody to check that book because I think that book will be helpful. And for not only a regular men, but to also young black boys. Because literature right. like, it should be, because they gotta know. Because I think a lot of them that they get to a certain age and they look at, you know, what's for all the black community, they gotta understand it's, it's much deeper than what expected. And a lot of us are not right. really between the lines. We go by too much narrative from like the roots, all these stupid outlets that continue to like mm-hmm. our race, men and the women. And we right. need respectful folks like communities to destroy it and to smell that. Right. that, you know.
1: No callers? Yeah, you know. Um. Yeah, we got. I mean, we have we have some callers online, but nobody pressed one. So. um right. I guess they so, don't want they don't want uh, to want the
3: discussion. Well, I what I thought was uh, Okay. Well, for that, so I will say thank y'all for today's broadcast. I have to step away now.
1: So you know anything that um, catch
3: replays, my people. I'm saying. Okay?
1: There's a lot of things to discuss. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. all right. So, um, you know, we 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 have a we're supposed to be doing a sh- doing a show. This is going to be on YouTube, um, Thursday night. You know, the Brothers Therapy session. Um, we're going to have Cerulean Gray and and I and Inf- i would about to say Iron Man, <laughs> and information man on, you know, just talking about the idea of community development and, you know, things we can do to to help develop, um to develop black boys and and black males and, um, you know, actually make a difference, you know, in in the black community. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be Thursday night. What time we said, uh, Calf, do you remember? I think it was, what, 8.30 or 9 o'clock? We'll we'll probably have it at 9 o'clock. At nine o'clock. Okay, yeah. That, so, so, um, so you know that'll work. And to to the listeners, to the callers, I appreciate y'all for you know, taking time out, y'all y'all busy Monday, uh, you know, afternoon to to listen to this interview. Um, if you if if you like the content that we're putting out, you like the direction of that the show is trying to go. Um, we're trying to develop a a, a platform that is um balanced and fair. Um, you know. And, and and that's what we're what we're aiming to do. And if you want to help in that endeavor, consider becoming a um, you know a patron for as little as as anywhere from a dollar to five dollars a month. We're going to develop maybe um you know a newsletter or some type of some type of content for 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 that platform for our patrons. And we're trying to have a hundred a hundred patrons by by January. So you know just catch us at the Great Liberators at Patreon. So, all right, so everyone that that do it. Um appreciate you for for joining me with the interview, brother. I wish Remy could have made it, but you know, so, uh, you know, something came up, things happened. But um so that we're going to we're going to end the broadcast there. Y'all know what it is. Make black black America great again or die trying.
0: Thank you for listening to The Great Liberator, hosts Amiri Brown and Kenya White. Until next time.